John W. Henry. Just because you're a billionaire, a mogul, owner of the Boston Red Sox, Liverpool Football Club, Roche Fenway Racing, we renamed it, I forget what we call it now, but but I own it. Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins, a marketing company, and a bunch of other crap. We have some video game golf team that we own now. Just because you own all of those things. Oh, we bought the, the Pittsburgh Cable Channel. We're going to have Allegheny Nesson. Yeah, so anyway, just because you own all that stuff, that doesn't mean life is always fair. I put everything into the 2023 Red Sox season. All the blood, sweat, tears, 14th most payroll into the 2023 season. And we're already basically out of it before September. I'm very disappointed in the way this season has ended so suddenly for all intents and purposes. Now you might wonder, what are we going to do about it to make sure 2024 is better? Probably absolutely nothing. Attendance is still good. TV ratings good enough. And I'm still getting rich. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 23 of the Fenway on Fire podcast. Been a few weeks since the last episode. Um, since then, the Red Sox season is completely gone in the shitter. Um, so we're going to do, we have plenty of time to break down, analyze, autopsy this 2023 Red Sox season. Just broadly speaking, they exceeded my expectations you know, they had a lot of things go right. You know, the Bluminati like to cry about it, all the things that went wrong. Far more went right for this team than went wrong for this team. And that's why they were in it as long as it was. Uh, one thing I was right about before the season, during the season, and was proven right about was the complete failure to build a major league starting rotation. That's what ultimately undid this team. You know, Bloom made some nice pickups in the bullpen. Core managed what he had. They were able to, to, you know, hold it together till the middle of August. And then the inevitable happened. So this didn't quite turn into last July of, of 2022 when they called up a bunch of rookies and they all got their faces kicked in. Or the 2020 season where Bloom was signing guys off the street because they had no pitching. <clears throat> didn't quite turn into that. The free agents they did sign were winners and professionals like Justin Turner, Kenley Jansen, Chris Martin, Adam Duvall. So those guys kind of helped hold things together. Um, but at the end, we're seven games out on August 31st. No meaningful baseball in September. Uh, right when it became nut-cutting time, that's when this team fell apart. So I sent out a tweet before the Yankee series, and that Yankee series, by the way, was awesome. We can be disappointed about the season and still celebrate that we buried the fucking Yankees, or we should be able to. But I tweeted out, the Red Sox might win, sweep this god-awful Yankee team. Then the rubber hits the road, and that's when things fell apart. They managed to get a split in Houston. Um, they only won one out of three against the Dodgers at home, and then they got swept by the Astros. At home, season over. So, in regards to the Astro series, um, I was at that Friday game 
Gave Mookie a standing ovation multiple times every time he went up. He deserves it. Um, I even cheered when he hit that double late in the game. Um, there were We were actually in right field where all the Dodger fans were. And literally, they took over Fenway Park. These are Dodger fans. A lot of them Mexican, Mexican-American. Flew from one corner of the country to the other to support their team. Take over our ballpark. And that should humiliate everyone associated with the Red Sox. But at the end of the day, they probably don't care because those people pay tickets and drink beer no matter what team's jersey they're, um, those particular fans are wearing. Not a lot of Red Sox jerseys there. Um, so I went to the game with my cousin, uh, Adam. He's been wanting to be on the show for a long time. We've talked about it you know, at various times, just never quite got it together. But this week... We just said F it and made it happen. Like, hey, ready to record. Send him the link. We recorded um, a show. Initially, it was probably just going to be a segment, but we went over an hour. So the show will be mostly the two of us kind of discussing uh, going to that Dodger game, the season, the direction of the franchise. Uh, hope you enjoy. Um, usually Adam's angrier than I am, but it was his first time on. You know, we kind of got our sea legs as we went along. So I think it was um, a good episode. Um, we will be back sooner than we have been. Won't be another five, six weeks because my brain is already thinking about what this team should do going forward. And we definitely want to talk about that heading into the off season. Um, and that is pretty much going to do it. We're going to go over to my discussion with Adam, uh, and go from there. Please like rate interview. Fenway and Fire on the podcast application of your choice. Uh, share the show with any Red Sox fan. If they're a skeptical fan like myself, or if they're an Ibluminati, maybe you can help them. Probably not, but, but maybe. Um, and thank you uh, very much, and I'll try not to be as much of a stranger. Yo. Yo. Can you hear me? Hold on. Yo. Yo, can you hear me? I can hear you, but I can't hear you in my headphones. Talk with us for a second. Sure. I'm holding you like a pizza, so I would hope you can hear me. Hey. Yep. No, Teddy just came home. Oh, sorry. No, it's all right. Yeah, for whatever reason, I couldn't get the audio to come out of my headphones. It was plugged into the microphone. 
That's and like with Zoom, they make it easy. You just you know go to the settings and you can. But anyway, anyway, so this is my cousin Adam. It's been referenced a couple times on the Fenway on Fire podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. All right. So first things first, we went to the game last Friday, Mookie's big homecoming. What were some of your takeaways from going to the game? A lot of Dodger fans. A lot, a lot of Dodger fans. Um, Quite embarrassing, to be be honest. Um, Back in their heyday, that that never would have happened. I mean, Dodger fans travel well, don't get me wrong. But uh, just a lot of Dodger fans. Um, But that's been how this whole season is. Whoever the opposing team is, as long as they're not horrific, their fans usually outnumber Red Sox fans. So that's just where we are, I guess. No, absolutely. So... (laughs) Just a little bit of background. Um, our aunt, um, back in the day when the Red Sox made the playoffs you know, routinely, the one way to guarantee playoff tickets was to get season tickets. So 2003, our aunt put in a deposit for season tickets, realized, wait, I can't afford season tickets. So she created a pool. A couple of our uncles were in there. Your mom was in there. At one point, one of, one of their first cousins was in there. So basically our extended family were season ticket holders from 2003 through 2012. So back in like kind of the mid to late aughts, we went to a lot of Red Sox games. Yep. And that was like the height of Red Sox popularity. I mean, it's, it's clearly dipped over the last 10 years, probably at an all time low right now, to be honest. But uh, that was, that was back in, in their prime. And uh, that, you would never have more opposing team fan teams fans in that park ever during that time. Now it's, it's a normal thing. Yeah. Cause back then there was even like a waiting list for season tickets. If I remember they capped the season tickets at 27,000. So that meant for any particular game, you had what six or 7,000 single game or package tickets available. So the only way the out of town fans could get in if they wanted to was you know, the secondary market from a season ticket holder. I mean, you had StubHub back then, but not quite like you have now with them and SeatGeek and all these other services that are out there. Um, yeah, it, it was totally different back then. Um, so, you know, you know, when we were out in right field, which is usually where the visiting fans kind of congregate, because, you know, people from the area who know the park know once you get past Pesky's Pole, you're sitting in right field. You're staring at the left field wall. So those are always the last tickets to sell. And that's kind of like the away section. If you're like, like if you're like a college football fan, there's always like that one little corner of the stadium or like an English soccer. You know, they have the away seating. That's basically what right field is, and that's where we were last week. It's funny. I actually never knew that. Um, but, but yeah, that's clearly where we were. And uh, yeah, a lot of Dodger fans, like I said. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so kind of going into the game though, were you excited to you know to see you know Mookie's you know homecoming his first at bat, and give him a you know, standing O or? Yeah, absolutely. I was definitely excited to see that um, because he should be playing here and he's not, and it's absolutely ridiculous. So anything to uh, make John Henry look like a complete <laughs> jackass, I am all for, and uh, I will How thoroughly enjoy jackass. No, it's very easy, John. It's very easy. <laughs> you give me plenty of material. Yeah. So, I mean, 
Uh, yeah, the Mookie thing, they're, they're, you know, they're never going to live that down. I mean, when John Henry dies, the first paragraph of his obituary will be, you know, breaking the curse, the four championships, saving Fenway. But then the second paragraph will be traded Mookie bets over a salary dispute that, that this is going to be what it is. Um, but other than that, like what issues do you have with kind of how the direction of the team and how it's being run? My issues with the direction of the team are, I, what is the direction? I, I don't even know. It's, we're just, just, just going to rely on young kids and, and that's it. We're not going to try and sign any type of free agents. Where's their, where's their pitching coming from? They have one good starting pitcher. Where's yeah. the pitching coming from? They don't have it in the minor leagues. And they've shown nothing to us that makes us think that they'll go out and sign a free agent to help them other than like a Corey Kluber type 10 million like journeyman who sucks. So I just don't know. We're used to this team going out and if they they had a need and they could sign it in the free agency, if they didn't have it in their minor league system, they would go out and do that. They don't do that anymore. So I, I just this middling nickel and diming dumpster diving just focusing just on on the minor leagues i i those are my issues i i don't agree with that they they're the boston red sox they have all the resources in the world to always at least be competitive not be an embarrassing last place team which they've been what is it two out of the last three three out of the last four i don't know but yeah so last place in 2020 some people want to hand wave it away as the COVID year. And, you know, the Eduardo Rodriguez getting COVID and myocarditis, that's not their fault. Um, you know, including David Price. And because, like, if they had gone into that year with a fully healthy rotation, it would have been, well, they were counting on Chris Sale. He broke down in the spring. Uh, Eduardo, JD, JD Martinez admitted to quitting, basically. Well, yeah. Well, so, but like their plan A was a rotation of Sale, Erod, Avaldi, um, and uh, uh, Martin Perez. They didn't even have a number five starter. They were going to do like bullpen games or they had Ryan Weber. So then when Erod goes down with, with the myocarditis and Sale blew out his elbow, they literally had two starting pitchers that whole season. And that just turned into an absolute debacle. So, okay, yes, you know, Erod can't blame him for. Sale, you can blame the Red Sox for. Not necessarily high in bloom. That extension was done before he got here. You can blame Dave Dombrowski, John Henry. Because back one of the last times John Henry actually spoke to the media, he talked about, you know, how important it was to keep Sale to not repeat the John Lester thing. And then two years later, they repeat the John Lester thing with Bogarts. So 2020 was last place. 21, I was really down on the team going into the year. A lot of things went right. They were really healthy. They got bounced back years from a lot of guys. They made they won the, uh, the wild card the last day of the season. They won on a postseason run. So that was a good year, no complaints. And then last year was last place. And this year, unless they just completely tank and some of these kids that the Yankees are, are, are calling up, you know, they unless the Yankees go on some type of run, they're they're going to be fourth place. So you know, if you you know, some people might call that progress. You know, some people might think, you know, Tristan Casas is, you know, two win season and, you know, Jaron Duran, you know, getting hot, you know, constitutes progress. But, you know, you're right. They've really had one real year where they've been in it. I mean, this year 
they were in it up until literally, you know, the last like half of August. And now they're seven and a half out after getting swept by the Astros all year. I've been jumping up and down saying this team needed more pitching. I think before the season, I even named a podcast episode. How many injured pitchers does it take to build a rotation? Apparently it wasn't <laughs> yes. enough. Oh, and, um, so we're recording today on the 30th. Did you happen to listen, Adam, to uh, the baseball hour on uh, the Sports Hub on the 29th? Last night? No, I did not. Okay, so I called in towards the end. So listen to the podcast. Uh, Matt McCarthy was hosting. And I point out that in the four years that High and Bloom has been here, and in this time, they've, need, they've either needed to either keep and or adequately replace David Price, uh, Rick Porcello left after the 19th season, He's retired uh, now. He's <laughs> retired now, yeah. But you yeah. let him go after 19, you replaced him with nothing. He's still uh, young. I know. He's like, he's like what, 34, 35? He, he, you know, Dave Dombrowski with the Tigers brought him up like at 19. So he threw a lot of innings. He did, yeah. He just flamed out earlier, right? Mm. Yeah. But anyway, that, you know, he was trending down. They, you know, they were probably right to move on, but they didn't replace him. They didn't replace Price when they, you know, dumped his salary. They didn't replace Erod, really. They didn't replace Evaldi. All the guys they brought in are Martin Perez on one-year deals, Garrett Richards on a one-year deal. You know, those guys spoke. You know, Perez had his moments. Richards was a complete bust from day one. Um, you know, last year, Rich Hill was Rich Hill. You know, he's your kind of number five innings eater, mop-up guy. Due for Good for at least one IL stint. Uh, Waka was actually pretty good, but he had two IL stints, only gave you 130 innings last year. But he didn't replace either one of those guys. He didn't replace Avaldi, who was an all-star in 2021, was in the top, I want to say, three or four in the Cy Young voting in 2021. He didn't replace him. It's just been these one-year stopgap pictures. So I mentioned that to McCarthy, that, you know, they haven't signed a pitcher to a multi-year contract, a starting pitcher to a multi-year contract since Ty and Bloom has been here. And this is why their rotation is trash. And as soon as I mentioned Corey Kluber, he was just immediately triggered. It was hilarious. So definitely check that out on the podcast. I definitely will. Yeah. And, you know, I I didn't think Kluber would be this bad. But whenever you have a guy who's in his late 30s, he's right-handed, only throws 88 miles an hour, there's just no margin for error. And it's like one of those things, okay, I didn't see him being this bad, but maybe I should have seen the – it was possible he'd be this bad, you know, and, you know, for them to even be, I think they're four games over 500 right now. They needed a lot of things to go right. I mean, they got more out of Paxton than they had any right to expect. He gave them nothing last year and was pretty good for, you know, four to six weeks this year. Now he's hit the wall. That's what happens when you have a guy who hasn't pitched in four years and you're counting on him. Uh, You know, Pavetta was bounced out of the rotation, was really good in the pen. Um, he was basically like Roger Clemens out of the pen for a couple months. He's come right. back a little bit. Right. So Bayo's been great. He was the one guy I had confidence on in going into the year. Um, you know, you know, Whitlock, you know, that was kind of a hope situation, you know, given their situation and, and given his stuff, I didn't, I didn't mind trying him in the rotation, but that clearly didn't work. You know, Cutter Crawford's been, better than anybody could have expected, but he's still limited. He's an 80, 90 pitch guy. We saw that game. He went to Monday um, or not Monday, last Friday, the Mookie. Right. He threw the five shutout innings, 83 pitches. They bring him out for the sixth because Cora wanted to push him. The pen was depleted. 
but he faced the lineup a third time. And that meant facing Mookie and Freddie Freeman a third time. He goes, you know, single, double, second and third, nobody out, and they had to get him out of the game. So I think Crawford, his ceiling is a number five starter. I if agree. He, if he can actually, like, become, like, a 100-pitch guy, maybe he's, like, a number four a guy that if you're a playoff team, you start him in game four and you, 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 you know, you get four or five innings and then you, you hook him. But he's a back end guy. Hulk, there's still questions if he can go through the lineup a third time. Uh, you know, he's actually been healthy this year because he had back surgery last, last offseason that I was concerned about, especially a guy with like his arm angle. And, you know, he's been healthy other than the line drive again. You know, that's just a fluke thing. Can't do anything about that. There's just, so many question marks, and some of the, the Ibluminati, they think having seven or eight question marks means you can patch together an effective rotation, and that is proven to be false. It's ridiculous. Like, you can't win at a high level with that many question marks in your starting rotation. I mean, you need, you need arms that can go. Like, you can't have these guys that break down, like, every six weeks. And then you just run everybody else into the ground because that's your philosophy. Just throw them out there, run them into the ground, and then dispose of them. The Tampa Bay Rayway. It's it's. It, I don't think it's it's not a recipe for success. Look at Tampa. They they all they only get so far, and they're lucky because they draft well, but they run these guys into the ground, and then they dispose of them, and it's just rinse and repeat, and they make it what to the ALCS or. Then they actually make it to the World Series, and their stupid analytics gets in the way, and then they lose. So, well, I, I don't know. Interesting you mentioned Blake Snell because he's a free agent, and he is. And the Red Sox won't be in on him. No way. No shot. No shot. Because he's going to want real money, not fake John Henry money, and they're not going to give it to him. Well, they, they they have no choice. They either have to, you know, shop in the top of the pitching market. Or 2024 is going to be a carbon copy of 2023, or maybe even worse. <laughs> I know? don't, I don't know if they care. Like as long as the the minor leagues progress and in in these little prospects they have up here, like Cassis and and Bay, who improve a little bit, and they don't have to pay anybody, they're I think they're happy. <laughs> yeah, the problem is they they don't have any starting pitching that's really close. I mean, they have Shane Drohan, who started really hot in Double A. Got called up to AAA, had some bumps in the road. The velocity's trending down. He's another Cutter Crawford type. You don't need another Cutter Crawford type. You need a top-end guy. I mean, I, I, I like Bayo a lot. Pao, Pedro's obviously high on him, said, you know, he could be better than me. You know, me, me, Pedro. I don't know about that. I don't know if he, like, strikes out enough guys to really be, like, an ace, like a Cy Young guy. But if he's, like, a one-and-a-half or, you know, right. something like that, if you get another, like, kind of, like, number one, number two type with him, and then a number three who can be solid and and take the ball and give you six innings, then you, you fill out the back end with Crawford or Hulk or whoever else, and they, then you're a contending team. But, you know, the, the time for the pussyfooting around, the one-year deals, the Flyers, it's over. Unless you want to do this again, it's over. You have young, cheap guys on the roster now, Hyatt. You have the, a top five farm system, according to Baseball America and Fangraphs, Ian. Piss or get off the pot, or shit or get off the pot. Do both. Puke in the pot. I don't fucking care. Make an aggressive move. Hyam, the one time Hyam was aggressive was probably Yoshida, but everything else is just waiting for the market to come to him. 
Oh, Andrew Heaney. Oh, well, he shopped our offer. Zach, Zach Eflin, he shopped our offer. Mitch Haniger, he shopped our offer. I'm not saying those guys are all-stars by any means, but especially with the pitchers, uh, you know, Eflin's been excellent. If they had Eflin instead of some of the crap they've been throwing out there, this team would be at least two to three to four wins better. Or even Heaney, he's, he's, he's been kind of a below-average starting pitcher. They haven't even had below average the past month. They have nobody who can give them five fucking innings. What the hell are we doing? I know this isn't 1975. You don't have guys throwing 250 innings anymore. But any guys to at least give you six, seven on a good day, they don't even have that. No, they don't. They, and they need a power arm, too. Like, they need a power arm for the front of the rotation. I mean, they don't have that. I don't know where they're going to get it. And, like, they... It, they missed an opportunity this year. Like the division is like totally flip flop. You have the Yankees right now in last place. Nobody saw that coming. Um, if Baltimore, if no one saw Baltimore in first place. We all knew they were on the rise or whatever, but no one saw them, you know, in first place. In Tampa's, I mean, Tampa's Tampa. We all know that, but everyone thought the Blue Jays were going to be better, and they're kind of like a middling team right around where the Red Sox are. And if they just had, yeah, Alec Manoa, you know. Eat himself out of the league, tanks the Blue Jays, <laughs> and off your fantasy team too. <laughs> oh, that that fucking guy. So we're actually last week of our we're in the same fantasy league. So the last week of the regular season, top six make the playoffs. I'm clinging to sixth. Admins in seventh. You son of a bitch! You over you took over sixth place from me this week. <laughs> I did. And so I, I I'd have to look at the draft. But like two out of my top five picks were Manoa who just don't get me started. And uh, Trey Turner was my first round pick and he was horrible all year, but he's coming on those, those kind and gentle supportive Philly fans that gave him that standing ovation. And, and now he's the Trey Turner of old again. So um, yeah, but the blue Jays, I mean, Vlad jr. He's not having a good year. I just think that whole team, there's just this, unearned sense of accomplishment. Maybe it's because they have so many of these, you know, second generation guys. Yep. Yep. Bichette, Varsho, Biggio, but he's like a, a bench guy at this point. He's not very good. Um, yeah, they should be better than they are. Uh, I was checking something else. I was actually looking up how many uh, double plays Yoshida has hit into this year. And he's third in the league with 18 double plays that he's hit into. Um, but the Blue Jays had three guys in the top ten. They led the league. Oakland was second. So Oof, brutal. Yeah, I mean, those are the things that they, they kill you that maybe people don't look at all the time. Um, but yeah, there there was an opportunity. Uh, I mean, Seattle they slept walked through the first four months of the season, then caught fire in August. So how about Julio Rodriguez? What he's done this past month? I mean, six weeks ago you had people crying that Alex Verdugo was a more deserving All Star than Julio Rodriguez. How? ridiculous is that now <laughs> really only bloom fanboys would would think that way because they're idiots like i mean and to be fair verdugo did have a very good first half he was hitting 300 playing great defense the bats come back to earth in a big way cores benched him twice he's he's gonna get traded i mean this this is an organization that doesn't want to pay anybody are they gonna pay this fucking guy no chance yeah uh, yeah, so there was an opportunity. Um, you know, the Blue Jays are a little disappointing. Uh, you know, Seattle, so they've come on. Uh, Texas kind of came out of nowhere. The whole Central is garbage. You know, so 
one of the things I said. Oh, but if the Red Sox were in the Central, they'd be in first place. Oh, I hate that narrative. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My aunt had balls. She, you know, you know how the saying goes. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's absolutely it ridiculous. That's how these boom people think. It's, it's. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, it's all about defending the narrative. Uh, like there was that um, tweet from uh, Bill Cock from uh, or Coke or whatever pronounce his name from uh, the Providence Journal during that Dodger series, saying that you know. Mookie is special. Freddie Freeman is special, and that you can't platoon advantage or dumpster dive around special. You have to pay for special. And one of the Bluminati, one of the prominent ones, mentioned tweeted, "Well, Atlanta didn't pay for special. Okay, no, they, they, their negotiations with Freddie Freeman broke down. To that, I say, at least they made a, an honest, you know, good-natured effort to keep him. And you know, the agent fucked that up. Whatever." Where are the Atlanta Braves right now? What what place are they in again? But yeah, but here's first, the, first place. Yeah, you know who they replaced Freddie Freeman with, right? Uh, refresh my memory Matt again. Matt Olson leads the National home runs. Yeah, didn't they trade for him like the day or after Freddie Freeman signed with the Dodgers? Like they immediately addressed that need. No, they they did it before Freeman signed. With oh, the oh, so they were preemptive. <laughs> yeah, so. When when Alex Anthopoulos realized that the the Freeman negotiations were, were, were you know had broken down, he's like, I have to do something. He traded for Matt Olson. While Matt Olson was on the plane from Oakland to Atlanta, while he was in the air, he negotiated an eight year extension with Olson's agent. So Olson gets off the plane, has a missed call from the agent. Hey, by the way, not only you're getting traded from a poverty franchise to the best franchise in baseball in your home state, you know, Olsen's from Georgia, they want to give you $160 million. <laughs> when was the last time the Red Sox have done anything like that? Well, there was that one time they traded for Doug Marabelli and they sent the state police to the airport to, to give him an escort so he could run out of the car in, in uniform into the game that they did that, that one time. Yeah, that was 18 years ago. Those were the old Red Sox, when the Red Sox actually operated with urgency. I mean, he was a backup catcher, but there was urgency. (laughs) There hasn't been urgency there since they got rid of Dave Dombrowski. No, they they were urgent in getting rid of him. They didn't even let him finish out the season. They they booted his ass like two weeks with two weeks like to go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he probably told John Hurry what you're trying to do is fucking stupid. You want to get our luxury tax, this team's going to suck. Didn't he say in an interview with, like, Bob Nightingale that, like, John Henry wanted him to, like, get rid of J.D. Martinez and not re-sign Mookie and not re-sign Xander? Like, I thought he said that. I don't know, but... I, I remember someone mentioning something about it, but it doesn't ring a bell. They to... said it on Felger and Maz the other day, I think. Um, I don't know. I forget, but... Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll have to look for it, see exactly what he said, because I'd love to talk to him and figure out, okay, what happened with Mookie? What happened with those extension talks where you failed to, where the team failed to extend him over multiple years? How much of that was you formulating the offers versus what ownership told you to offer him? You know, just what, what, what actually happened? Or whose idea was it to extend Chris Sale? Was it yours or was it Henry's? It'd be nice to ask those questions. I don't think anyone will ever get that opportunity, but. Yeah, you you know. need to, so I've been thinking about this. Baseball needs a Conrad Thompson. 
They do. <laughs> they, that's right. They need a pod father. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Conrad Thompson, for people who don't know, he's a, a podcast host. And he does podcasts about, you know, wrestling from like the 80s, 90s, 2000s. And he talks to the people that were in charge of these wrestling promotions or the wrestlers or whatever. And it's all kind of like looking back. And he's interviewing these people that, you know, uh, talking about things where it's far enough removed where they can be honest. So maybe Dave will like write, you know, like this memoir when he's, you know, retired and in the Hall of Fame. And And he does a great job of getting people to, uh, you know, open up. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, But yeah, I agree with you. You know, so I was talking to someone else about what this team needs to do in the offseason. Pitching, pitching, pitching. There's the, the guy from Japan, Yamamoto, who, I, if I remember correctly, was the number four starter on uh, their World Baseball Classic team. Okay. So you had Darvish, you had Otani. Yeah. Had I've Jack- seen a few highlights of him, and he looks good. Yeah. My concern there is you have ten teams that are scouting him, and if it, if it turns into a bidding war, the Red Sox going to win the bidding war. No, of course not. Yeah. Because they, they, they come up with their number. And they're they just don't budge. Yeah. So I mean, the one time they were aggressive and their number was good enough was when they got Yoshida, and Yoshida was great for the first three, four months of the season. He hit the wall in the second half. Started to hit a little bit this week, but his defense is so bad. Right. And so. And the Red Sox were kind of mocked at first for like giving him that contract. They were like, "Whoa, big overpay." Yeah. So he's been good. But I think the move is a little overrated. Now, overrated doesn't mean bad. But the defense is so bad. Um, like baseball reference, their version of wins above replacements, different websites, they calculated a little differently. They had him at one and a half wins. Fangraphs has him below a win. So paying a guy $19 million who's less than a three-win player. The designated hitter. He is. And, you know, if they move him to DH, his war would be better because his defense, you know, causes the, his, you know, the war to go down. He's, or just speaking, you know, speaking plainly, the defense subtracts from what he gives you at the plate, put simply. And that's even at Fenway Park where we've had guys like Mike Greenwell, Manny, Johnny Gomes. I mean, it, it doesn't take much, but he plays the outfield like he's running on ice. Watch him. He runs like he's running on ice. And he catches what he gets to, which isn't a lot. He's And his catch radius is tiny. Like, he's not the type of guy to, like, make, like, a reaching or a diving catch. You know, realistically, he needs to be a DH, which means they're going to have to let not bring back Justin Turner. Uh, you know, they boxed themselves in that corner by giving Yoshida a five. And Justin Turner's been probably, like, their best player other than, like, Devers, and I feel like he's had more of an impact than Devers. Yeah, and, and Devers, his defense is also an issue. And There's yeah. another DH coming up real soon, or, or a first baseman, but no, wait, you've got Tristan Cassis, so then what do you do? <laughs> yeah. And Cassis' defense hasn't been great either. I think Cassis has the ability... Well, Tyler Milliken thinks his defense is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. The other thing with Casas is he missed a lot of time in the minor leagues with like nagging injuries. So in, in a sense, it's the fact that he's made it through the season, knock on wood, to this point without without missing time due to injury. That's not a small thing, especially for a big guy like that. Um, but he's seen get a lot of reps in the field in the minors. 
So you hope he gets better. Devers was better last year. He was really good in April. I think with Devers, it's it's like Devers at the plate. It's just he's never he's not he's not consistent. He's either super hot or he's ice cold. And you keep, that's I like keep, the whole team. Yeah, and, and I keep waiting for Devers like one of these years to just put it all together and be consistent for six months or mostly consistent for six months. You know, the team's betting on it, too. That's why he's the one guy they paid. And uh, they had to pay him. I mean, there was nobody else. <laughs> I mean, they let him go. So I think people burn the place down. I, yeah, I you're you're almost an expansion team if you trade Devers for prospects or God knows what else. They backed themselves into a corner by not keeping Mookie, by lowballing, insulting, and letting, letting Xander Bogarts go. Think- Right. Think about how much they were mocked this offseason by like people in the industry. Like they were mocked mercilessly. Yeah. And, and they're going to be mocked again this October when, you know, the Red Sox will have been long since out of it and, and Mookie and the Dodgers go on their postseason run. Right. Right. This That's, 2020, it, like every day during the postseason, the Red Sox were trending on Twitter and it was just neutral out of town baseball fans dunking on the Red Sox. Why did you get rid of this guy? What the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, Sean, what did Sean McDonough say? Uh, a trade that can never be... Um, a trade that can never be defended, a stain that can never be removed, if I remember correctly. Thank you, yes. Yep, yep, that was it. I mean, this is literally the Frank Robinson trade of the modern era, where the Frank Robinson trade, that was, you know, back then he didn't have free agency... He had an idiot owner, thought he was making a baseball trade, and it blew up in his face. This is an owner that had the means to keep a player, but chose not to. And it, it's the same thing. Like, it was a horse for three ponies. The three ponies and the, and the Frank Robinson trade weren't good. The ponies in the Betts trade, you know, Verdugo's been an average right fielder. He's going to get traded more than likely this offseason. You know, Jeter Downs, complete bust. Connor Wong, he's a adequate starting catcher adequate at best realistically he should be a backup but that's what you got for Mookie Betts because you didn't want to pay him it's it's a joke it absolutely is and you look at some you look at all the players they've lost from that 18 team and what they've gotten back hey they haven't gotten back a starting pitcher for any of them none of them they could have got Bruiser uh, Gratterall but I think it was him right and then they didn't like his medicals I mean not that he's anything great but at least he's a pitcher yeah, so the reason why they backed out was because they wanted to acquire Gratterall to be a starting pitcher, and then the medicals made them think, okay, Gratterall can't hold up as a starter. And, and to be fair, he's been a reliever, mostly a seventh, eighth inning guy. Yeah. So the original trade was just for Dugo and just Gratterall, and then when they backed out on Gratterall, that's when they got Downs and uh, Wong. So that was probably a better package anyway. And also, as much as the medicals might have been a factor, another factor might have been just, you know, ownership or someone, you know, telling Hyde, look, this is all you're getting. You're getting two guys. You're, you're, you know, so that's, that's what happened. And, and Gratterall, I mean, he's, you know, a rich man's Josh Winkowski. So, I mean, but they needed a starting pitcher. They didn't get one. They tried to get a starting pitcher in the Benintendi trade, but Winkowski, when he started last year at the major league level, was god-awful. He's turned into a decent 6th, 7th inning guy, so he's Heath Hembree, he's Joe Kelly, 
okay, whatever. Um, the best pitcher they've gotten in a trade, starting pitcher, was they got Pavetta in um, 2020 when uh, they dumped Workman and Hembry uh, on the Phillies. Yep. So the best yep. starting pitcher they've gotten in trade in four years was a guy, A, who was bounced out of the rotation earlier this year with an ERA of six. In, in, in a, at his best was a number four. So you're not trading for pitching. You're not signing pitching. No wonder why this team has no pitching. We starting pitching. Yeah, and uh, you you can't compete. You can't even really survive at any sort of competitive level without it. Uh, that's why you finish in last place. That's why you're a laughing stock. That's why you've got guys like that bear claw guy going out there and getting murdered because you just don't have enough good arms. Yeah, and it's just I I don't I, I don't. I don't understand that philosophy. I, it's just not a recipe for success. Yeah, I don't know how. I, part of it might be philosophical, but part of it, I, I just think it's just being timid and scared, not wanting to make the big move to get the starting pitcher you need. Well, wouldn't that be part of a philosophy, though? Like, their whole philosophy is just being timid and just, oh, we'll just play the safe route and we'll, we'll sign the Kluber's and – but then they don't even draft pitching either. So it's like, well, no. where is it? It just doesn't fall into your lap for free. <laughs> You've got to, you got to go out there and find it. Like I, I and the they just don't. <laughs> the draft is an interesting one. So I think what they, what they're trying to do there is, you know, use their top picks on, on shortstops, high school guys, guys who are athletic guys with ceiling and then for pitching, get guys in like the fifth, sixth, seventh, tenth round, and send them to the pitching lab, design new pitches, put them on a program, and try to develop them that way. So they they're just trying they're just trying to like pick off like middling to scrap heap talent, and then acting like they're Frankenstein and building their own pitcher. Oh my god. I mean, it's kind of the way like the industry is going to a degree. Like uh, Cleveland, like they just turn out pictures all the time and what they've done is they do is they they find these college pitchers who throw strikes but maybe don't throw hard like shane beaver was this type of guy um he threw like 91 92 but he threw strikes so they draft him they put him in their program doing whatever they do they got him throwing like 95 ish he won a Cy young and then he broke So I think that's what the Red Sox are trying to do, um, but they, they don't have. They we'll see the results in like fifteen years. Like it's. Yeah, and and for them to, I mean, a whoever they're drafting, we don't. They're so far away. We don't even know if they're doing it successfully or not. These, you know, as you called it, the design piece, but they have nobody in the upper minors. And if you're not going to pay for pitching, you're not going to trade for pitching, where is it coming from? So uh, I was listening to uh, the radio broadcast today. I was kind of multitasking. And um, it was even radio or it was somewhere they're talking about, you know, the pitchers who lead the Red Sox in innings. And so to qualify, like, for the ERA title, you have to throw only 162 innings, one inning a game, not a lot. The Red Sox probably aren't going to have a single guy on their staff who's going to qualify like for like any like the league leaderboards. I mean, not a not a single guy. That's 
That's embarrassing. It really is. It's so bad. I mean, I remember like back in the day when Josh Beckett would throw like 160 innings and it would piss me off. So I'd be like, that fat bastard. He should be <laughs> pitching like 190 innings, but because he's out of shape, he gets hurt all the time. And now 160, I would be like super happy with because it's just so gone in the complete opposite direction. Oh, yeah. It- 160, you'd be like, you know, the old Haas Radborn of the staff. But, yeah, the innings have to come from somewhere. And, unfortunately, Monday, they came from, you know, Kyle Baraclaw. Did you watch the game Monday night? <laughs> no, but I heard about it, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was jarring to watch. It really was. Um, like, even, like, the broadcasters, like, O'Brien's like, you, do you know why they aren't bringing anybody in? He was like, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. And, and I like Euclid. I know a lot of people crap on him. I think he's insightful. He's like, uh, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. And then come come to find out the next day, of course, I said, well, the plan was, was going to be Sale and Barraclaw going to Martin and Jansen if we had the lead or if they didn't have the lead, it was just going to be Sale and Barraclaw. But I mean, like, how can you do this where Sam Kennedy, that smiling, glad-handing fucking moron, has been selling us on this team wanting to compete. And that was their biggest game of the season. There were, I think there were four and a half out going into that game against the Astros. This is the team you're trying to pass. You're up four to three in the sixth inning, and you quit. I mean, in what universe is that acceptable? It's not acceptable. It's not. And and Sam Kennedy is a corrupt politician, and Hein Bloom is his chief of staff. That's what Sam Kennedy reminds me of. And Heim Bloom just does all his dirty work for him. You know, he sold out. Sam, he being Sam Kennedy. I mean, this is a guy from Brooklyn, you know, on the same high school baseball team as Theo, loves the Red Sox. You know, he's getting paid probably millions of dollars. You know, Henry and Warner made him a partner in Fenway Sports Group, and this is what he's fucking doing. This is how he's running the Red Sox while John Henry is globetrotting, doing whatever creepy billionaires do. And this is where we are. And High and Bloom was his handpicked guy because uh, their GM search at the time was they called Theo. Theo didn't want to come back to being a GM. They asked for a recommendation. Theo recommended High and they interviewed High and they hired him. They didn't, they didn't talk to anybody else. So Sam Kennedy recommended this guy to ownership, this guy being High. So now he's backing him to the hilt, defending the indefensible. I mean, this team needed pitching in June, and they didn't get it. They didn't get pitching at the deadline. And now, finally in August, it's, you know, the bullpen is broken down. When I say finally, I thought this was going to happen earlier. I mean, Cora and I guess to an extent Bloom deserves, I don't know, credit's the right word. I mean, they managed to patch it together this far, which is farther than I expected, but still wasn't far enough. You know, this, you know being a baseball fan and, and watching the game and, and watching, you know, following the sport, one of the things I've realized is the good teams are the ones that can sustain it for six months. The frauds are the ones that, you know, maybe start hot or are good at first, but then by July, August, the dog days, the flaws come out. This happened in 2011, and it all just falls apart. And, and that's where we are. Yeah, I, I need to circle back to what you said about Sam Kennedy called Theo Epstein and offered him the job. He didn't want it and then recommended Heim. I've never heard that. 
uh, I don't know if it was Sam or if it was Henry, but someone like they field out Theo. It was definitely Theo that recommended Iron Man. Oh, 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 that I, I, oh, that makes me feel real. Oh, that does not make me feel good. Oh, no. Oh, 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 Theo. Oh, no. Oh, now I'm angry. Oh, man. Really, Theo? That? Oh. I mean, so we have the so we have Theo Epstein and Sam Kennedy to blame for this. Well, it's mostly Henry in terms of the, the you know the, the cutting of payroll and not paying star players except one. And yes. Yeah. Well. I, most of the blame goes to Henry, and there's plenty of things you can pick apart that Bloom has done or not done. Um, I mean, for for the resources that they do have, they should be better than this. And they're not, and that's on Bloom. But kind of the big picture thing, you know, Mookie Betts not being here, uh, uh, Xander Bogarts not being here. And Bogarts is not having a great year in San Diego, but he's still having a better year than Treader for Story, by the way. You know, the Bluminati love to crap on Xander and, and pump up Trevor Story because, you know, their savior, you know. That was his one big move. High and Bloom's biggest move in four years was signing an injured shortstop that everybody knew was hurt. And he did it at the, like near the end of camp because I mean because Trevor Story was the last free agent out there exactly and he had and to do something had on his ass that entire off season he's like oh crap I have to do something I guess it's going to be Trevor Story because there's nobody else yep. oh oh and this this also enables me to leverage Xander Bogarts and this is a replacement if we lowball him oh yeah I mean that worked out perfectly for him so except Story's been terrible. <laughs> oh yeah, there's that small little part, but <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you know the people that want to make excuses for story. Well, he signed late, didn't have a real spring training. That's the, why couldn't the, why couldn't the Red Sox have signed him earlier if they really wanted him? And, and what we keep they just keep making excuses for this guy. Like he's uh, Jesus Christ. I, I I don't know. Like I'm over Trevor's story. Like I'm sick of hearing everyone make excuses for him. Like he's healthy now and he's not hitting. So, Oh, that's great. He can field the ball. Great. Well, I, I mean, just having a major league, like an above average shortstop after, you know, four months of Kike and whoever else they were throwing out there other than you, Shane, it, it's been nice watching him play shortstop. He does play a very good shortstop, but, but that's a concern. Because Xander Bogarts hit third in your lineup, and you're placed him with a guy who strikes out over 30% of the time. Uh, he hasn't been above average at the plate since the COVID season. So, and, and people make this year, well, he hasn't had a spring training. Okay, that's true. But these are things the Red Sox should have known the elbow was a problem. They should have known surgery was a possibility. And when Sam Kennedy sells us, oh, we're getting Trevor Story back, and this is going to be our, our deadline move. Okay. You can't tell us this is our deadline move who's going to help us and then make excuses when he doesn't perform while he didn't have a spring training. Just the two-faced bullshit out of Jersey Street drives me fucking crazy. Yeah, and it's going to continue. Uh, I mean, I don't see I don't see Heim Bloom going anywhere. Um, I don't know why Alex Corey would want to come back here. I think he's got like one year left, right? Or is there... Yeah, he has one year. So when they brought him back, it was a two-year deal with two option years. Right. Option had to be picked up after year one. So basically, it was like a feeling out. 
Yeah. Year, if they thought it was working, you pick, they, they picked up the option, and, and the two-year became a four-year deal. So he has one more year. We think Bloom has one more year. I think Bloom might have done enough to save his ass for another year, where the team was mostly competitive, even though they've completely crapped out the past you know, week to ten days. They've had some contributions from the young players. The farm system rankings are better. And there are a couple guys down there, you know, Mayer, the most prominent, that should help them eventually. You know, the system is deep. And there's only a couple high-end guys, probably Mayer, Roman Anthony, the young outfielder who's still in high A, and Kyle Teal, who they drafted 14 because they sucked last year. Uh, I don't know how many high-end guys there are, like real impact guys there below that. Maybe um, Miguel Blaise, the outfielder, who's supposedly a five-tool guy, but he had shoulder surgery, missed most of the season. But they have a lot of guys, like, like cause I really dug into the Fangraphs rankings. They have a lot of guys, like, in the low minors, who they project as major leaguers. Not necessarily all-stars or even starters, but guys who should make it to the major leagues. Those are the guys that you need to trade when your major league team needs help, and they didn't do that. Yeah, it's it's just prospect hoarding. It's it's they they just that's all they care about. They think yeah. the big league roster doesn't really matter to them, and they'll get these guys up here, like the ones that are good, and then once they are due to be paid any sort of significant money, whether that's arbitration, whatever, they'll just get rid of them and then it'll just be rinse and repeat over and over and over again. It's like, it's going to be like watching a college team except they're paying them. You know, you get just going to get new new players every like two or three years. Oh, the transfer portal now, it's like every year in college, but... Uh... Well, well, let's okay, let's say pre-transfer portal. It's a, That's <laughs> what it's going to be. Don't get attached to anybody that's remotely good because they're not going to be around for long. They're so, just not. If the Red Sox want to try to start re- restoring trust with the fan base. I don't think it, they care about it. I really don't think they care. <laughs> well, they need to start extending some of these guys. Bayo should be priority one to extend. He's shown you what he's capable of. And there might even be a, 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 another kind of step up where he could be an all-star pitcher. Maybe not a Cy Young winner, but you know, a, a top-of-the-rotation guy. Um Casas is an interesting one. Um, he's really come on. He hit the ball hard again today. Like Casas, when he hits the ball, he crushes the ball. He does swing and miss a little bit. Like so, when he was a prospect, the Freddie Freeman comparisons. I think we can put those to bed. Freeman's, you know, a three ten, three twenty hitter in a good year. I don't think Casas will ever be that. Um, depends on the defense, but if they if they think the defense is has room to improve, if they went, if they gave like you know, Brian Bayo, a seven-year extension. Buy out the rest of his controllable years, plus a couple free agent years. Did the same thing with Casas. Then they'd be able to tell, sell, tell the fans, okay, look, this is the core. You can see what's coming. Show us what's coming. Show us what's coming is actually going to be here, honey. Do that. That might restore a modicum of trust. The problem is, too, like, let's circle back to the owner for a minute. Like, just like the way they talk to the fans. Like, that that fan thing at at Foxwoods oh, forget, Red Sox weekend winter weekend Springfield. that was reprehensible the way he talked to the fans in the 
that is supposed to be like a basically a cheerleading event where like hardcore fans go down there and just have fun and whatever. They were like booing him and chirping him. And and he, his response was just so bad and so just like, wow, you really don't give a fuck, do you, dude? Like, you really don't. And then you have Sam Kennedy, his, his, the politician who just like lies to your face. It's like, oh, yeah, we really care. No, we want to be competitive. This means everything to us. Oh, shut up, dude. Just shut up. (laughs) Just shut the fuck up. Like, I don't want, I, I get, get off my TV, just go away, just go, bring Larry back. I want Larry Lucchino back. That's, I can't believe I, if you said, if you told me seven years ago, I'd be saying this, I would be like, you're lying. <laughs> uh, no, but you probably missed it. Did you see Larry yesterday during uh, the Jimmy Thun telephone, like the old pregame ceremony? No, I didn't. What does he oh. look like? He's probably half dead. He does. Oh. Does he have like a son who's like got a similar personality, <laughs> <laughs> or a daughter? It doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, clone Larry. Yeah, like uh, it, it's just uh, that's how. Like I said, he just Kennedy comes off as a politician. John Henry clearly like should never speak because it's every time he talks, it's like he just shows you that he doesn't care. And like. Yeah, and that, that's probably why he doesn't talk anymore, because every time he does, you know, it, it blows up. Because he just says just the most asinine shit, and it's just like, wow, dude, you really just don't care. Like, it's, he, he has no, um, no way to sugarcoat it. It's like he has no filter. He just says the quiet part out loud all the time. Like, yeah. He, he's like a toddler. Like he just <laughs> is brutally, he's just gonna tell you how he feels, no matter how bad it sounds. <laughs> yeah, you know. So I, I don't know. I, that's why I just don't have any faith. Like they're gonna like turn this around. I just feel like it's gonna be a middling thing for a long time. It's gonna be like what it was for us as kids in the nineties when oh, they, had, they, had, they had a couple of good teams. They'd always have. They always had at least like one kind of star player, right? Like. Mo Vaughn. They had Roger Clemens there for a little bit in the 90s, but then, like, obviously he left by, like, 94, 95 or whatever. Six was his last year. Okay, 96. So then, you know, you had Mo Vaughn there for a little bit, and, uh, you know, then Nomar came up, and then they traded for Pedro. So you had, like, Nomar and Pedro there for a little bit at the same time. But, you know, middling teams for the most part. You know, that one team that made it to the ALCS in 99, but we... If you had a half a brain, you knew they stood no chance to make it any further than that. No, none whatsoever. And then even those like the 2000 team, the 01 team, not very great. Like the 01 team had that what that ridiculous collapse, right? Jimmy Williams got fired. and Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like those are the teams that that's that's in our future. Like that's what we're looking oh, at God. here. No, I, <laughs> I just do. I don't know. When I went to one of those games where um, – during the Joe Kerrigan era. So this is kind of like the last death knell. So there were six games out going into a weekend series against the Yankees. They lost the Friday night game. So there are seven games out. And then Pedro pitched on Saturday and Pedro had a torn rotator cuff. Basically. Uh, he spent that whole off season, like rehabbing, working out with Angel Presnell. So who knows what kind of treatment he got. But, I was gonna say, I know Preston all. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but Pedro was hurt, and, and they rushed him back. His first start back, he got shelled. This was his second start back. There were seven games out, and I remember sitting in right field, uh, not where we were. Like it was kind of like closer to the bleachers, and Pedro gutted through six shutout innings. He was throwing like ninety, and then. Um, Rich Garces came in, if I remember right. They get to the ninth inning. They bring in Uget Urbina for the save. He blew the save. They were eight games out, and the shit storm was on from there. And I think they lost that Sunday game. There were nine games up by the end of that series. I'll, I'll have to look up the box score for that game. But, yeah, like, I mean, at least those teams, you know, like, remember when Nomar came up, how he electrified the city and electrified the fan base? He did. He did. Yep. Yep. We, we don't have anything like that now. No, you don't. You, you you just don't. You have nothing even close to that. Like anywhere. I mean, you know, I, I mean, Mookie, in, like right now, you definitely don't. I mean, Mookie, I don't think he electrified it like Nomar did. I just feel like, I don't know, baseball was just more popular back then than, than it is now here. Um, but like that was like the last big star you have, and he's like the biggest star in the game. So there you go, good job. Mm-hmm. And Mookie <laughs> was an interesting one too because he came up at the same time as a bunch of other guys. Where Nomar came up, it was just him. He did. That's right. Mookie came up with a bunch of different guys, so he didn't like particularly stand out right away to me. And you saw um, Ortiz and Pedroia on the team. Yes. And it yep. was like who's going to be better is it going to be Betts is it going to be Bogarts who's better that was kind of a little bit of a not debate but a discussion for a Bogarts while. was already on the team too because he was he won that he was part of that World Series team in 2013 yep yeah he called up at 20 years old yeah yep yeah so you know, I mean in the, the, sorry those teams like you know it was kind of like what I was I never thought this team was going to be good. I bet the under on the win total. I think under 78 and a half. Oh, but me too. July, when they were a game or two out, you know what? I'm watching these games. You know what? Give them help. See what we can do. Get in the playoffs. See what happens. You know, if you lose in, in four games in the ALDS and you have a couple of good games to watch, I'll take that. Oh, same. Yeah, they can't even give us a competitive September. The season is over. Yep, and it's uh, August, what, 30th? Yep. Yeah, like if they were in it in, like in September and there were some big games and we're still watching the standings, that's something. They can't even give us that. So yep. that's kind of like my minimum expectation as a Red Sox fan is every year, I don't expect them to make the playoffs every year. Be in contention for a playoff spot, which in this era, with the watered-down playoff structure of three wild cards, can you compete for six? Can you do that? And they can't do that this year. No. Well, they, they really chose not to. I mean, they're, they're no moves at the trade deadline other than what picking up that second baseman at the last second. Who... Wee, Darius, yeah. So, wee, wee. You know, Steve Phillips said it, I think, in like February or March. I, I played the clip on, on one, of the, one of the earlier episodes of the podcast where he said the Red Sox punted the season. And they did. And even when they were still kind of in it, that mindset they couldn't get away from it. Well, we well, we're not all in this year. We don't They're underdogs. Game. Yeah, they're underdogs. That's right. They're underdogs. Oh, Hyams unless by some miracle Hyam builds this into a World Series winner. When he inevitably gets fired, that's gonna be what he's remembered for. The we're underdogs. That's gonna be in the pantheon of stupid things Boston like executives, managers, whoever have said. 
Paul, don't forget, he also had another one where he told us it was going to be awesome. We're gonna and do before it. the season awesome. before the season started. Yeah. Well, he even put a time frame on when they were gonna do it, when it would be awesome. I, he really should take the John Henry route and just not talk. But he talks way too much. Like him and Chris Catillo, I, I, I like I feel like they're in like a like a relationship. <laughs> like a sexual relationship, like their boyfriend boyfriend. Like he he's constantly talking to Chris Catillo. It's weird. Well, because that's the thing with Hyam is I feel like he's more comfortable like in the podcast format having like a conversation than he is doing a question and answer at a press conference. He probably is, but he talks a lot for a general manager. Like I feel like Dave Dombrowski never like he went on what section ten like once, and, and yeah. but like he wasn't like out there like talking all the time. And well, you uh, have to talk. Neither all- was neither was Theo, talk. and <laughs> like I don't know, it's just it's just, it's just weird. Like every time I feel like every time I come across a Chris Catillo piece of content, it's like, oh, here, here's what Hein Bloom had to say about this, and I'm like, oh my god, like. Okay. I am been on ITM. He hasn't been on uh, Name Redacted in a long time, but no, no. So I, mean, I wonder why. I wonder why. I don't know. Well, I feel like Kim and Carabas probably are, have a good relationship. But... They do. They do. Um, I'm sure he'll be on there again at some point, unless he, you know, gets fired, you know, in a month or something. Catilla must have him on like retainer or something. <laughs> yeah. You know. Well, I, I think the reason why is. You know, he has to sell his vision to the fan base, or at least try to. Dave Dombrowski didn't have to sell his vision. You saw it on the field. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> but, like, I feel like the only vision, like, I mean, he doesn't really need to sell it. But he's talking to, like, Chris Catillo, who's, like, a young kid, and on a podcast, he, he's got the young people. Like, the, the, the iBluminati, the Bloom fanboys, they're all young people they're not 60 year olds they're not 50 year olds they're not and maybe some people in their 40s but mostly not it's all young kids so i don't really feel like he needs to sell it if he thinks he does he's in the wrong place (laughs) i'll tell you that yeah maybe you should you know go on like you know sports radio get the older demographic i don't know but (laughs) there you go go on the baseball hour Because I'm in some of these like Facebook groups, and there's a lot of boomers on there who support Hyam. Really? Yeah, and it's not because necessarily they like the job he's doing. They take more of the kind of the point of view. Well, I'm a Red Sox fan. I need to support the team through thick and thin. So that means supporting them to the death. How about have an original thought in your brain? And just if you don't like something, you can say it. It doesn't mean that you um you you hate the team or you don't want them to do well. Like you, you don't have to agree with the the direction or how they're building their team. Like that's such a dumb way to look at things. It's just have an original thought. Yeah, well, because I think there are a lot of fans in to be fair, they're just kind of they don't really think about it. They're just kind of long for the ride. They watch the game. They want the team to do well. That's kind of the extent of their fandom. They watch. They're not that. That's to me. That's more of a casual fan. That's that's like, all right, well, yeah, yeah, I'll watch and like I want them to do well. But if they don't, like, I don't really care. It doesn't affect me. And like, uh, yeah, go Hein Bloom. Like and there's nothing. There's like nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. But like to me, that's not a hardcore fan. Yeah. Well, like to me, like a casual fans, like people who kind of like barely pay attention. Like we have friends who are like more into like football and other sports who kind of casually, casually like monitor what the Red Sox are doing. 
But yeah, I, I guess. But there are like people like who kind of have like that, you know, I guess passive point of view, or I just want to watch the team and root for my team, and they watch most of the games. And and one of the things that Matt McCarthy said like a week or two ago on the baseball hour that really rung true was the season has been exhausting because every game or every inning is like um, it's like the organizational outlook. It's like it's on trial. If they win a couple games, though, high is the greatest. If they lose a couple games, oh, high sucks. Or if they win a couple games, the Ibluminati start chirping. If they lose a couple games, people like us start chirping. And the whole thing, it is getting like exhausting where every day, is just, you know, the organization on trial. And it's a divided fan base. It's literally, it's almost just like Democrat and Republicans. It's just, it's a divided fan base. It, it's, that's what, it means what it is. It's people like us who don't believe in Heimbloom, you know, and, you know, and then there's the younger, mostly younger generation that, that believes yeah. in him. And that's, you know, it's, it wasn't like this with Dombrowski or, or Sherrington or Theo. Like everybody was just, they just rooted for the team. I mean, you might disagree with the move here and there, but there wasn't this like massive revolt against an entire philosophy. No, like like when I was a kid, like I spent a lot of time in the truck with my dad and he'd have sports radio on. So I listened to a lot of that at a young age. And I remember like Lou Gorman getting skewered in the early nineties. Mm-hmm. You know, Duquette, it was a little, it wasn't divided, but he definitely got pushed back. So yeah. Was, like, you know, letting Clemens go, signing Steve Avery. But you didn't have, like, you know, people that were, you know, you know, Kool-Aid drinking fans of the executive. No, and that's the another thing. that that's a, Thank you for saying that, because now it, it's on. I've never seen an executive that has a fan base like how, what well, you should be rooting for players. You should be rooting for the team. You, you're literally rooting for the executive to make the right move. Like if, if that's what you want to do, go, go buy MLB the show, go put it on fantasy mode and do that or play fantasy baseball and do that. Out of the park. Baseball is pretty fun. I have never heard of it, but. I, I it it's just you're, you're the, it, it's nothing I can relate to. I I cannot relate to it whatsoever. It it's it's just insane, and you don't get that in any other sport. You don't have people rooting for the GM of uh, I don't know an NBA team or an NHL team, or but you you have it here with Hein Bloom. It, it's just it's bizarre. It's just bizarre. Like, the only thing you have to go on to support Haim are these prospect rankings. That's it. And with, you know, with any of these prospect rankings, A, it's an opinion. That's why the Red Sox ranking, you know, varies anywhere from, you know, third to 16th, depending on whose opinion it is. And B, it doesn't matter until, A, you trade one of these guys for a major league, or B, if these guys produce in the major leagues. Okay, at one point, Henry Owens was a top 20 prospect in all of baseball. He was the one of the worst pitchers I've ever seen in my life. Oh my god, he was so bad. He had a nice changeup, and he was terrible. Didn't Dave Dombrowski get rid of him pretty quickly? Um, he, he was designated for assignment. And I don't know if it was Sherrington or Dombrowski, but yeah, I, I mean, think it was Dombrowski. I feel like he did it like pretty quickly after he got here. I want to say I remember that. Owens graduated to the majors and was terrible and had no value. Hmm. 
And, and that happens. I mean, Sam Travis. I remember a, one, a buddy of mine I used to work with played college baseball, went to spring training one year. This Sam Travis is going to be great. And you'd see him in spring training. Like, like Sam Travis was like, like you know, like where he's got through the NFL spring training. There are these like guys who light up the NFL preseason, but then they just get cut and you never hear from them again. That's kind of what Sam Travis was. Sam Travis, he could hit, but he just had no power at all. And yeah, so that's another, it's kind of just another example of a guy touted, graduates, doesn't make it, no value. Lars Anderson, Michael yeah. Bowen, the list goes on and on. Ryan Kalish. Well, Ryan Kalish, I mean, that poor guy. He I, Did I, he have a medical issue? Was that him? Oh, yeah, he had horrible injury problems. And, then, oh, and this is another thing. They kept Kalish, but they traded away Josh Reddick. And Josh Reddick had a pretty good career. He 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 did. He actually had a very good little career for him. I mean, he was on those like one of those Astros teams that won the World Series and on a couple of others that went to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was good for uh, – where did he go after that? Was it like Oakland or something? Or did we get him from Oakland? I forget. The, um, the Red Sox, if I remember correctly, they tr- moved him in the Andrew Bailey trade. Okay. Okay. But yeah, he had a good little career for himself. He definitely took a personal that he got traded from here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you know, he was a 30 home run guy, played 10 years, played good defense. You know, he, he could have helped, you know, he would have helped them more than Kalish. Kalish probably had more upside, but, you know, he had the injury problems. But you have to know who to keep and who to get rid of. And the other thing, too, that they're going to run into, unless they start moving some of these guys, you're still going to have places to play them. Like, I was listening to, um, I think it was the Sox Prospects podcast after the deadline. Like, you know, like literally, like, if you have a prospect playing shortstop in Worcester and the guy in Portland's ready to go up and he's a shortstop, what are you doing? They're going to run into situations like that. They love to draft second baseman and shortstops. No pitchers, though. No pitchers. <laughs> no, don't need starting pitchers. Just, you know, no, no. Who needs starting pitching to win? <laughs> 162 bullpen games. That's the that's the bloom way. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I just I can't. It's just uh, it, it, this season has been exhausting. McCarthy's right. <laughs> so, this is what I hope. Not what I think is going to happen, but what I hope is going to happen. They 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 acquire two quality, proven starting pitchers. It could be free agency, it could be trade, it could be Yamamoto. Aaron Nola is a free agent. He's probably the most durable of the guys that are available. Snell walks a lot of guys. He's another five, six inning pitcher. Wouldn't be my first choice. I don't know if Dabrowski's going to let Nola get away. Yeah, I don't know. Well, that, owner doesn't, that owner doesn't care about spending. He wants to win. Well, Nola's having a little bit of a down year this year. I know. Um, he's on my fantasy team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I've had him the last few years. He usually does pretty well for me, but uh, this year has been kind of a mixed bag. Well, we, well, Zach Wheeler's up after 24, so it's going to be hard for them to keep both of those guys. So Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so you have Blake Snell. You have Yamamoto from Japan. Um Maybe uh, Burns and Woodruff with the Brewers, they're going into their last years. The Brewers aren't going to be able to keep them, especially Burns. They had that arbitration hearing, and Burns was all pissed off about it. So maybe one or both of those guys are available via trade. Maybe there are other guys that are available via trade. But they need to add one front line, one mid-rotation starting pitcher, 
crush the offseason. I'm not saying make head make moves just to make headlines. Meaningfully improve this team. If you do that, even people like us who are cynical will be able to say, okay, this team has what it takes to at least be in it next year. If they can do that, all the division, the acrimony, the social media bullshit, it'll, I don't know if it'll completely go away because the internet's a fucking cesspool, but it won't be as tiring and as constant as it's been the last couple years. We need a clear off-season win. And if it doesn't happen, I mean, we're, we're just going to relive this year again, maybe a little bit better, maybe a little bit worse. Right, it's like Groundhog Day. Just you give up, you step in the you step in the pothole with the puddle, and it's just the same thing, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I I have no expectations that they will really do anything meaningful to improve <laughs> the team. Uh, I hope I'm wrong. And that's the other thing too is you know, all right. There's I'm not saying appease the fan base, but if you make good aggressive baseball moves, you'll get the fan base back. Uh, you'll get, yeah, sort of, I, I, I feel like they have to, they, they, they need to do more than that. I mean, the, the moves need to work out. They need to show, and it needs to, I feel like it needs to go on for multiple years. They need to, to prove to the fan base or at least to a large portion of it, that they do care about winning and that they want to win. Like, I, I don't think just signing a few guys in the off season or making a few good moves just one off season is enough. I, I feel like they need to show this for multiple years because it's been multiple years where they, they haven't. Um, yeah. And we've, you know, like we've covered that earlier. He's signed Bloom hasn't signed any sort of a starting pitcher to other than a one year deal. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, like over the last four years as a fan, I mean, like, I mean, there's been nothing to get excited about in the offseason. Like, you know, you don't even hear about the Red Sox being linked to guys. And- no, and well, no, they they're the interest kings. They're interested in everybody, but they don't sign anybody. And then yeah. they just let their good free agents leave and go to other teams. So it's like, up, oh, who's going to leave this year? Up, oh, it was Xander and Evaldi. Or who's going to leave? You know, and it's just like, all right, yeah. What yeah. what stiff are they going to get to this? You know positionless baseball, you know, who's going to fill that hole. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to sign Noah Syndergaard and he'll start opening day. You know what I mean? How many positions has Bobby Dahlback played? I think he's played everything except for catcher. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I said earlier that Bobby Dahlbeck had struck out like in 20 of his last 40 at bats in AAA, the poor bastard. <laughs> Red Sox stats tweeted out. Anyone wants to look for it, just search his Twitter. But yeah, oh, there's, there's another one graduated. I mean, he was never really a highly regarded prospect, but, I mean, no value. I mean, They should have traded him, like, was it last year when he was on that little hot streak, and then they kind of just middled, like, the trade deadline? They should have traded him then, or maybe was it the year before? I forget. But it would have been after 21, because... Oh, God. So, yeah, so last year. Instead, they penciled him in as the opening A first baseman for 22. Good job. Yeah, Freddie Freeman. (laughs) Real Justin Pedroia there. 07 Pedroia, baby. (laughs) Exactly. All right, Adam, we've gone on for over an hour. I will let you go. I got to take a shower, eat some dinner too. But I appreciate you joining the show. The first ever guest on Fenway on Fire. So thanks a lot, Adam. Have a great night.
All right. Anytime, brother. All right. Take care.